This is Psalm number 64. This is to the chief musician, a Psalm of David. Hear my voice, O God, in my meditation. Preserve my life from, the, from fear of the enemy. Hide me from the secret plots of the wicked, from the rebellion of the workers of iniquity, who sharpen their tongue like a sword and bend their bows to shoot their arrows, bitter words, that they may shoot in secret at the blameless. Suddenly they shoot at him and do not fear. They encourage themselves in an evil matter. They talk of laying snares secretly. They say, who will see them? They devise iniquities. We have perfected a shrewd scheme. Both the inward thought and the heart of man are deep. But God shall shoot at them with an arrow. Suddenly they shall be wounded, so he will make them stumble over their own tongue. All who see them shall flee away. All men shall fear and de shall declare the work of God, for they shall wisely consider his doing. The righteous shall be glad in the Lord and trust in him, and the upright in heart shall glory. Okay, our sermon text today is from Genesis chapter 45. It's um, verses 16 through 28, and this is entitled, The Spirit of Jacob is Revived. Verse 16 says, Now the report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brothers have come. So it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, do this. Load your animals and depart. Go to the land of Canaan. Bring your father and your households and come to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you will eat of the fat of the land. Now you are commanded, do this. Take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives. Bring your father and come. Also, do not be concerned about your goods, for the best of all of the land of Egypt is yours. Then the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them carts according to the command of Pharaoh, and he gave them provisions for the journey. He gave to all of them, to each man, changes of garments, but to Benjamin... He gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments, and he, set, sent, uh, and he sent to his father these things, 10 donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and food for his father for the journey. So he sent his brothers away and they departed, and he said to them, see that you do not become troubled along the way. Then they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to Jacob their father. And they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still, because he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, and when he sent the carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob their father revived. Then Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go to see him before I die. This particular sermon here, I, I, we've had three in this particular cycle of Joseph, which are absolutely important to understanding what God is going to do for the people of Israel in the future. And this one here is the brothers, when the Lord revealed himself to the brothers we saw, was something that was waited since the anticipation of the world. Well, this is a follow-up to that. Jacob pictures the people of Israel, not just the leaders and the individual tribes, but the corporate body of Israel. And what we're going to see today is something that is so anticipated in redemptive history that I mean the Lord himself must be sitting there in heaven anxious at what is coming about. It is simply astonishing to me how God has taken human history and he has woven it together in a way that we can see this in the first book of the Bible. And I want you to know that in 1944, there was a person uh, named Lieutenant Hiro Onoda. This is during World War II, the last year of the war. He was sent by the Imperial Japanese Army to the Philippine island called Lubang. And there he engaged in uh, guerrilla warfare. And though the en war ended in 1945, just a year later, he was never officially informed of this. So for 29 more years, this man continued to live in the jungle, ready to uh, give an answer any time his services were needed or any information was needed about the particular area that he was in. As he was getting ready to go out on his mission, he reported to his division commander, and his division commander told him this, you are absolutely forbidden to die by your own hand. And it may take three years, it may take five, but whatever happens, we'll come back for you. Until then, so long as you have one soldier, you are to continue to lead him. You may have, uh, it, you may have to live on coconuts. If that's the case, then live on coconuts. Under no circumstances are you to give up your life voluntarily. In October of 1972, at the age of 51, 
and after 27 years of hiding, the only remaining man in his unit was killed during a gunfight with a Filipino patrol. Though Onoda had been officially declared dead in December of 1959, this now showed the likelihood that he was still living. The search parties went out to find him, and none succeeded. He was on his own, but he remembered the division commander's order that he could not kill himself. So he continued to hide. Then in 1974, there's this college dropout in Japan. He said, I'm going to go travel around Asia. Told his friends, I'm going to go find this guy, Lieutenant Onoda, and I'm going to find the abominable snowman, and I'm going to find a panda bear. Well, I got to tell you something. I don't know if he found a panda bear, and I don't know if he found the abominable snowman, but where others had failed, this guy succeeded, and he found this guy. He found Lieutenant Onoda, and when he found him, he tried to convince him that the war was over. Sounds like us with Jesus. There's a war going on. And until we come to him, that battle rages. Well, Onoda said that I'm not going to surrender until my commanding officer orders me to. So this guy Suzuki went all the way back to Japan and he found his former commander, a guy named Major Taniguchi, who had now become a bookseller. And on March 9th of 1974, this guy Suzuki with his old commander Taniguchi met Onoda at a pre-appointed place. And Major Taniguchi read the orders which said all combat activity had been ceased. This guy was shocked. He was shocked at first. He couldn't believe it. He disbelieved. It took time for the news to sink in. Imagine the lost years of that man's life, his family, his friends. The word shocked can hardly describe what this guy must have felt. 30 long years of sorrow and death and separation. He lost his entire crew that was below him, and he continued to live. It's not a story that is at all unlike the story of Jacob. For 22 years, he thought his son Joseph was dead. But more, even more, for 2,000 years now, the Jewish people have thought that it, Jesus was just a dead Jew. If he were alive, he would be Lord. He can't be alive, can he? Today, we are going to see the amazing truth of what this story in Genesis reveals to us. Our text verse today comes from Isaiah chapter 57. You've got to forgive me. This is so emotional to me, what God does in human life. Lieutenant Onoda's life, the life of the people of Israel, and then your life and mine, it's all tied together. Isaiah 57, 15 says, For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Onoda's heart, it must have skipped after he realized what had happened and Jacob's heart as well. He heard that Joseph was alive and that the, the son that he had lost was ruler of all of Egypt. And once the truth set in, his spirit revived because the Lord had arranged it all. And the Lord is still working to arrange another great eye-opener for the people of Israel. Jesus is alive. It is all to be found in the Bible. And so may God speak to us through his word today. And may his glorious name ever be praised. I have three thoughts for you today. The first one is providing for Israel. This is verses 16 through 20. Verse 16 says, Now the report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brothers have come. So it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. The reunion has come. The brothers were reconciled. We saw that last week. And Joseph's great weeping had gone out in those gasps of relief and love that we saw in the previous sermon. In Hebrew, the verse begins here with Vehakol nishma, and the voice was heard. The message was passed to Pharaoh from those outside and probably with great joy. And the message is, Joseph's brothers have come. But what is the reason for them saying Joseph? His name has been changed by Pharaoh to Zaphnath-Paaneah. So some scholars say that uh, this was just what Moses wrote because it was the familiar Hebrew name for the audience that it was intended for. But I disagree. I think that's very unlikely because when Daniel was taken to Babylon, he had his name changed to Belteshazzar. And yet, throughout the entire book, both names are used. Sometimes, even in one verse, you'll see both names. 
It is probable that the Egyptian name Zafnathpaanea, meaning the savior of the world, would have been used as a title, but his familiar name may have been used by friends and associates. And the same is true with Jesus. He is, in fact, the savior of the world, but he is also Jesus, or in Hebrew, the name Yeshua. When he is spoken of, it is normally with his name, not of his title. After this, we are then told that it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. The Hebrew says it was good in Pharaoh's eyes. Verse 17, And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, Do this, load your animals and depart, go to the land of Canaan. This command may have come about after any amount of time. We don't have the specifics here. Joseph could have talked to Pharaoh first and asked this, or it could be that Pharaoh just simply made the choice up on his own. We're given the details here that we need, but we're not given all of the details. What is curious, though, is that they are told to load the animals and depart. Now, we're going to see in six more verses that they will take all kinds of things back to Canaan along with these animals that are loaded with grain. Now, why would they do this if they were expected to go back up to Canaan, pick up dad, and come right back down to Egypt? It seems like a lot of useless effort unless there is a prophetic picture that we're being shown here. Load your animals and then depart. Go off to Canaan the land. Soon in Egypt you will make a fresh start and you will be provided for from Pharaoh's right hand. Verse 18, bring your father and your households and come to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you will eat of the fat of the land. The invitation here is all-encompassing. It includes Jacob and all of their families. This then would include all of the servants as well. Though not recorded in the Bible, there were certainly many of them in the camp. And the promise for their return is that they are to be given the best of the land of Egypt. This is the part of the kingdom that is the most productive of all, and it was to be where they would live. And to reflect the superabundance it would provide, even during the famine, he adds that they would eat of the fat of the land. Where they were moving is the place that would provide the most bountiful crops and fruits. Verse 19, now you are commanded, do this. Take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives, and bring your father and come. Now this almost seems unfriendly, if you think about it, when it says, you are commanded. Why, one must ask, would Pharaoh give a command to Joseph like this? It doesn't make any sense. The Jewish scholar Joseph Kimchi writes that there was probably a command which had already existed, though, that no carts could be used for carrying grain. People would only be allowed to buy enough to be carried on one animal, and that would keep Egypt's supply from being depleted because it's a seven-year famine. I would agree, but I'd go further than that. Not only would they keep the supplies up by not letting full carts leave, but it would also keep profiteers from buying grain and reselling it at higher price, prices elsewhere. The grain has, and it continues to picture the word of God, and so an obvious spiritual picture comes out, doesn't it? Who is it that profits from selling off the word of God? Paul speaks about people doing that in the New Testament, and it has continued all along. You turn on your TV, and you see people all the time. They're selling little things, little talismans. Here's a miracle bottle of water. This will heal you. And they charge this money for it. Or they say, give us a donation and we'll send this to you. They're profiting off of the word of God. And this is the type of thing that has been going on all along. It's a practice called simony. It goes back to Simon in the book of Acts. So we need to be careful not to peddle the word of God for profit. Anyway, by giving this command to Joseph, then Joseph cannot be held guilty for breaking a previously given command. Thus, Pharaoh is making a particular exception for the camp of Jacob. As Pharaoh means great house, which pictures God's rule and his authority, the picture is very clear. God is making an exception for the people of Israel during the tribulation period. He says, take the carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives. He then adds, bring your father and come. The carts are meant to carry the wives, the children, and Jacob. These would be two-wheeled carts which were drawn by oxen and would make the long, hot, and arduous trip more bearable for Jacob and for his family. The minute care for the details by Pharaoh is reflective of God's minute care for Israel in the coming tribulation period. Israel will survive because God is on her side preparing for her. And this is seen all the way through the Bible. Old Testament knew how God is going to take care of Israel. 
Verse 20, also do not be concerned about your goods for the best of all of the land of Egypt is yours. Pharaoh instructs them saying, Venechem al tachos al do not let your eye pity your things. In other words, do not sweat what you leave behind. There was only so much space on the carts and people can only carry so much stuff. What is left behind is unimportant and it should not grieve them at all to leave it back in Canaan. However, I want you to know that the Hebrew here is ambiguous, and this ambiguous nature of the language has been translated in exactly the opposite way. One Catholic version that I read said, and leave none of your household stuff behind. The reason they translate it this way is because they're indicating that they were making a one-way journey to permanently settle in Egypt. But I want you to know that this does not follow at all with the rest of the passage. And it also doesn't follow along with what's being pictured. As we saw last week, this is being done under urgency. And it is pointing to Jesus' urgent words, which are found in Matthew 24. I read a portion of this last week. I want to read it again now. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor shall ever be. The picture we're seeing is the protection of God's people. Those who are more caring about their stuff than they are about coming to Jesus Christ will never be a part of his kingdom. He is providing for their needs, and he has made great promises to them, just as Pharaoh is now doing for the family of Jacob. All right? Let him who is there out on his housetop not go down to take anything out. And let him who is in the fields not delay or stop, even to get his clothes for the terror which is to come about. Woe to those pregnant or nursing during those times. Pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on the Sabbath day. For the world will go through great tribulation for its crimes. Nor has it ever been so, nor will it ever be again, I say. Our second thought today, something special for Benjamin. This is verses 21 through 24. Verse 21 says, Then the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them carts according to the command of Pharaoh, and he gave them provisions for the journey. Verse 21 here is tied directly back to verse 17, which said, Say to your brothers, do this, load your animals and depart. The reason why these two are tied together is because everything else in these other verses is either being worked out or is still future. And so, then the sons of Israel did so, is speaking about the loading of the animals. But Joseph is also a son of Israel, and so he's included too. He gave them carts according to the command of Pharaoh, and he gave them provisions for the journey. This care of Pharaoh, representing God, is exactly pictured in Roman, uh, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 12. There it says these words. Now, when the dragon, meaning the devil, saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. That's Israel. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished or taken care of for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. Just as Jacob and his family are given provisions to keep them nourished and Pharaoh's carts to carry them, so will Israel be nourished and carried through the tribulation period. It is exact. The symbolism of the wings of the eagle are given to signify God's divine care. Exodus 19 and Isaiah 40, among other verses in the Old Testament, show us this. A detail in this verse, though, which I believe is very important and which is something similar to what we saw many, many sermons ago when Jacob and Laban, his father-in-law, made an agreement, is that these carts actually represent something else. The word for carts is the Hebrew word agalot. It's a word which means revolving or circular. These carts came according to the command of Pharaoh, which in Hebrew is al-pi-pharaoh, literally by the mouth of Pharaoh. The structure of the Bible, and I want you to know this, and if you don't know this, I can show you a picture of it after the sermon, and I will put it on the video. The structure of the Bible makes a circle. It makes a perfect circle. As the Bible comes from the mouth of God, the picture is clear. Israel will now have and accept the entire Bible represented by these wagons, which are being sent by the mouth of Pharaoh. And no, this isn't a stretch at all either. Verse 22, 
He gave to all of them, to each man, changes of garments. Adam Clark notes this. He says, It is common custom with the Asiatic sovereigns to give both garments and money to ambassadors and persons of distinction whom they particularly wish to honor. Hence, they keep in their wardrobes several hundred changes of raiment, ready made up for presents of this kind. But there is more to it than just a, a tradition of the Asians. The biblical honoring of a person with garments is actually seen in the book of Revelation. There it says this, He who overcomes, this is Jesus speaking, shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and his angels. This granting of the garments, mentioned specifically by God in his word, is to show the change in the brothers. They are now in a right standing with God because of their acknowledging their brother as Lord. It is clear and it is explicit what we're being shown. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. They have overcome and they are granted his garments of righteousness. Verse 22 continues, But to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. Now, as happens from time to time, and, you know, you just wonder why something comes along in the Bible and you say to yourself, why would this happen? Why would Joseph give Benjamin all of that silver and five changes of garments to carry back to Canaan and then have to lug it all the way back as well? Why would he do that? Why wouldn't he just wait until he came back and give it to him then? And even more so, the specific amount of the silver is given. The brothers have brought silver twice and it's been restored twice, and yet the amount isn't even hinted at. Unless God is showing us something, it doesn't make any sense at all. The last time a specific amount of money was given in the Bible was when Joseph was sold. It was for 20 pieces of silver. Now Benjamin is given 300. And you know what? Being curious, I got at my calculator, and I found out that 20 times 15 equals 300. That's 15 times the amount for what Joseph was sold for. And not surprisingly, because once I figured that out, I went to E.W. Bollinger, the great biblical numerologist, and he shows very clearly that the number 15 represents resurrection, divine grace issuing in glory. He gives seven specific, specific examples from the Old Testament to show us this, and you can read them online, the book Number in Scripture by E.W. Bollinger, and you can see exactly what he's come up with. Joseph, picturing Christ, was sold off for 20 pieces of silver. Benjamin, the son of the right hand, picturing Christ in glory, and those who have called on him is 300. The five garments given to Benjamin show the divine grace in their redemption, having called on Jesus in his exalted state. It is grace based on belief. It is the resurrected and exalted Christ pictured by the silver and by the garments. Verse 23, And he sent to his, father's, his father these things, ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt, and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and food for his father for the journey. I want you to know that the last time that ten animals were noted as being loaded with goods and sent to someone was way back at Abraham's time when he took his oldest servant and sent him up to Mesopotamia to find a wife for his son Isaac. That was 63 sermons ago. Like then, there is a reason why the number 10 is mentioned. The number of carts isn't given, but the, isn't that just as important as the number of donkeys? Unless we're being told something here. 10 throughout the Bible, it's very consistent, is the number of fullness. The term 10 days, you see it many, many times in the Bible, is used to indicate a fullness of days, not specifically 10 days. The term 10 times is used in the same way. These 10 donkeys representing a fullness of what is being sent, which includes the good things of Egypt. Egypt is the land of the Gentiles. It is where Christ has been proclaimed since he was sold off to the Jews. The 10 donkeys sent from Pharaoh picture what we have in Christ right now and which will be given to the Jews of the future. Our wealth of knowledge and the good things that we have in Christ will be shared with them. The fruits of the Spirit will be granted to the sons of Israel. The ten female donkeys are then said to be loaded with grain, bread, and food for his father for the journey. Jacob 
has consistently represented the corporate body of Israel during these Joseph sermons. To them, they are now given grain. But the word grain here is not the one that has been used time and time and time again in the past four chapters. If you remember, I used the word, or I said the Hebrew is the word shever. That's uh, grain which is still in the kernel. Instead, the word bar is used, purified grain. The kernel is cracked and the grain is purified. The grain, as I said, it is consistently pictured, the word of God. But now, finally, after all of these sermons, the bar, the purified grain, is given to Israel. It is picturing the entire scope of the Bible, including the New Testament. If you've wondered why I kept naming the grain again and again and again in these past 10 sermons, it's because it's all pointing to Jesus Christ. The word of God is what reveals him to us. And the use of these different words has been so targeted and so specific that only through understanding the work of Jesus Christ can we understand what the reason for all of this detail is. Israel will someday not just have the grain, but they will have the full and the purified grain, which they now lack. Along with that, though, the donkeys are loaded with both bread and with food. Well, that seems like a redundancy, but again, it points to Jesus, specifically the Gospel of John, chapter 6. In John 6, 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And in John 6, 55, he said, my flesh is food indeed. Everything is about Christ Jesus, and everything in these stories is pointing to the reconciliation of him to his people Israel. The detail is exact. It's all there for a reason. Israel is going on a journey, and Jesus is going along. Interestingly, in Revelation 6, verse 6, we read this, And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. A denarius comes from the term which means containing ten. It is the equivalent price of ten donkeys. This verse in Genesis with the two sets of ten donkeys is being tied directly to that verse in Revelation chapter 6. Though there will be a lack during the famine of the tribulation period, those under Joseph's care are well fed. And though there is a lack uh, during the famine at Joseph's time, Jesus will sustain the people during the tribulation period. In other words, you see both of them commingling. Genesis and Revelation. Verse 24, so he sent his brothers away and they departed and he said to them, see that you do not become troubled along the way. On sending these guys away, he gives them this specific bit of instruction here. And the word he translate, or which is translated that he says here in the New King James Version as troubled is the word tergezu. It indicates quarreling or anger. Three ideas come to mind here about this. The first is that they may argue over who takes the blame in front of Jacob when Jacob finds out what happened to Joseph 22 years earlier? The second also concerns Joseph. At some point, they may be brought to him to explain their past actions, and they may argue over that. And finally, Benjamin has been given more than they have, so they may argue over his favored status, just like they argued over J Joseph's favored status many, many years ago. And each of these three have their fulfillment in the future. Those spiritual leaders of Israel who have been wrong about Jesus for the past 2,000 years are going to have to explain to somebody about 2,000 years of cover-up and incompetence. And they will worry also about whether Jesus is going to be vindictive towards them. And finally, they may be envious about the sealed 144,000 mentioned in Re Revelation, which are represented by Benjamin in these stories. What has been will be again, and what is pictured in the past is being revealed again in the future. Looking back to Genesis takes us all the way forward to Revelation, and all of it is centered on Jesus Christ. Our third thought today, Jesus is alive. This is verses 25 through 28. Verse 25 says, Then they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to Jacob their father. In the Bible, when one goes to the land of Canaan, and this is just something for you to remember, they go up. When one goes to Jerusalem, they go up. It doesn't matter what direction they come from. They can come from north, south, east, or west. They're always going up. And it doesn't matter where in Israel they are. If they're going to Jerusalem, they're always going up. This is God's land, and in it is God's city. And so the brothers go up out of Egypt, and they head home to Jacob, their father. 
Imagine the suspense in them as they try to anticipate every possible thing that he could say, both good and bad. Verse 26, And they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. Understanding the picture that is made here, it is almost impossible to express what is going on with mere words. Someday the leaders of Israel will go and they will tell their people something extraordinary. It will be something beyond imagination to them. To me, the words of the song, Oh Happy Day, come to mind. I was sitting here typing this sermon and these words jumped out of my head as soon as I read this verse. Oh Happy Day, when Jesus washed my sins away. Yep, he taught me how to watch, how to fight and pray, and living rejoicing every day. Oh Happy Day. Imagine what Jacob felt. Imagine what Israel will think. Jacob thought that God had abandoned him, and Israel has felt the same. Jacob thought the son was dead, and Israel has thought Jesus was dead too. A mere myth. But Joseph is alive, and he's governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jesus? Jesus is alive, and he is Lord of heaven and earth. Just imagine the emotion. Verse 26 continues. And Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe them. The Hebrew says, Ve'yapag levo, and his heart grew numb. This is derived from the idea of being rigid through coldness. He simply couldn't believe what he heard. Yes, this is the normal reaction that we would expect, but it is also a concept which Jesus uses about the people during the tribulation period, which he says in Matthew 24. Here's what he says. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, meaning the Jewish people, and you will be hated by all nations for my sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. You see, the love of many will grow cold. Jacob grew cold temporarily, but some will stay cold. This is the warning which is given in advance to Israel. Those who are truly of Jacob will warm up once again. There will be all the evidences in the world presented to them. For those who choose to believe, they will be saved. And this is seen in the next verse, verse 27. But when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob their father revived. Some need only to hear the good news about Jesus Christ, and they are born again. Some need more. They need to read the word. They need to think on the concept. They need to see the evidences in other people's lives or whatever way to make the mental ascent to the knowledge which then turns to faith. For Jacob, he needed to see the evidences. He saw the carts which Joseph had sent. These would have been royal Egyptian carts. They would have been the finest of the land and they would have been ornamented in beauty. And when he saw the carts, he knew the truth. Joseph is alive. If you remember from a few verses ago, I said that the Hebrew name of these carts was Agalot, and I said they pictured the scriptures, the Bible. Jacob, picturing Israel of the future, will open the bar, the purified grain, the full revelation of God, which is found in both testaments of the Bible, and they will read, and they will believe. They will believe, and they will be revived. They will be revived, and they will be saved. This picture is so astonishingly exact that it cannot be overlooked. For all of these sermons, we have seen this word, shever, the grain and the kernel, and only today, the last time this is mentioned, we see the word bar, the purified grain. And there it is with the agalot, the carts. It is the superior word. It is our sure and complete testimony of Jesus Christ, our Lord. I gotta tell you something, I saw the carts one day, and I realized that Jesus Christ is alive, and that he is Lord. Whatever evidences you think you need, they are found in the Bible and in the testimony of his people. The carts are there. Don't close your eyes to them, but believe. When Jacob saw them, the Bible explains, Betachi Ruach Yaakov, and lived the spirit of Jacob. He wasn't reanimated in his body, as the Bible speaks of people being revived elsewhere. Instead, he's reanimated in his spirit. This then pictures the truly culminating moment in the history of Israel. It is prophesied in Ezekiel 37, which is the Valley of the Dry Bones passage. There it promises two separate things. 
The first is that the people of Israel would be returned to the land of Israel. They would regather and they would fill the land. And that's happened. That's happened in our lifetimes. But verse 8 says, but there was no spirit in them. It is exactly what is going to happen in the future. They're there in the land. They are there, but they are without the spirit. But God will send the spirit and they will revive. In verse 14, it goes on to say, I will put my spirit in you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. As I said last week about these things, even if these pictures aren't what God intends for us to see, they still reveal exactly what the rest of the Bible shows us. And therefore, they are exactly what God intends for us to see. Jacob's revival is carefully worded because it's pointing to a spiritual truth. Man without Jesus Christ is dead. Man with Christ is made alive. Paul tells us this all the way through his writings, such as in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where he writes these words. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. You know, the apostles, these guys who knew Jesus, and they'd heard his words and they'd seen all of these many miracles that he did, they doubted. We shouldn't miss the similarity between Jacob and his carts and the apostles and Jesus right after the resurrection. Listen to how the two parallel. Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and afraid and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe, for joy, sounds just like Jacob, and marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and he ate it in their presence. What do you need to believe and not doubt any longer? Is his word good enough for you? It is the deepest treasure that ever, ever has been given to man. And yet we find more pleasure in late nights, in later mornings, in sports, in playtime, and we miss Jesus. Stop doubting and believe the carts are right there in front of you. Verse 28, which is our last verse of the day. Then Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go to see him before I die. Anybody? He's called Israel. Three times in this chapter, the man, the father, the person, he's been called Jacob. Jacob, the flesh and bones. Jacob, the deceiver, who's been deceived all these years. And then it all changed. He is Israel. He is alive. And he cries out, Rav, abundance, much. It is enough and it is more than enough. Joseph, my son, is alive. The spirit will rest on Israel and they will come to life. This is the promise of God in the pages of the Bible. And it should be the hope of every Christian on earth. It is the culmination of the greatest separation and reunion which has ever been imagined. The Jews who hear and the Jews who believe will be revived and they will go to him. As Jacob says, before I die, it is either Jesus or it is death. One either has the spirit or there is only cold, eternal separation from God. There are only those two choices given to us and each individual faces these choices as well, just as Israel as a nation faces it. But God has shown us in Genesis what lies ahead of us in the future. Israel will live, and they will behold their Lord. They will behold Jesus. Matthew Henry sums up this chapter with beautiful words for us to consider. Here's what he says. Behold, Jesus manifesting himself as a brother and a friend to those who were once his despisers, his enemies. He assures them of his love and the riches of his grace. He commands them to lay aside every envy, anger, malice, and strife and to live in peace with each other. He teaches them to give up the world for him and his fullness. He supplies all that is needful to bring them home to himself, that where he is, they may also be. And though when he at last sends for his people, they may for a time feel some doubts and fears, yet the thoughts of seeing his glory 
and of being with him will enable them to say, it is enough. I am willing to die and I go to see and to be with the beloved, my soul. Adam Clark said, a desperate disease requires a desperate remedy. Sin is, in fact, a desperate disease. We're born with it and we live with it. Only one remedy can take it away and it comes at a very high cost. Give up on self, call on Jesus, and let the blood that was shed at the cross of Calvary wash away the crimson stain of your sin. This truth is needed for the people of Israel, but this truth is also needed for every person individually. God has offered, and we must receive that offer. So if you will, I'd ask you once again to allow me just another minute to tell you how you can be reconciled to God through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The Bible does say that we're sin sinners. All have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. We die because we have sin in us. But there's two types of death that the Bible speaks of. The first is spiritual death. Adam was told on the day you eat of the fruit, you shall surely die. And yet he lived on for 930 years. So either God is a liar or he was talking about something completely different. And that's what the rest of the Bible shows us is that Adam died spiritually the moment that he ate of that fruit and he was separated from his God. And that separation remains in all people. It is inherited from our first father. And the only thing that can reconcile that separation between us and God is through the work of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Mm -hmm. We have death through Adam. We have life through Christ. All have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. And the remedy to it is so easy. Call on the name of the Lord and be saved. That's all you have to do is just ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and say, I can't do it myself and I'm not going to try. I'm going to rest in the work of Jesus Christ. And if you do that, you will be saved. Guaranteed, 100%. It is finished. It can never be taken away from you. Salvation in the Bible is eternal. Our closing verse for today comes from Matthew chapter 24. Same chapter we've quoted twice already today. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see these things, which we're seeing in the world right now, we're seeing the things that he spoke about in this chapter, know that it is near. At the doors, assuredly I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. It's happening and it's happening before our very eyes. Next week is Genesis 46 verses 1 through 27. So Israel took his journey. That'll be our 114th Genesis sermon. Now I've already told my brother this. But uh, the people that are watching on the video, I want you to know that we're going to continue on and we're going to have communion on camera today because somebody asked for that. They want to participate in our communion every week. And so I'm going to do this. So instead of having a prayer after our weekly poem, I'm going to go ahead and go straight into communion. So please, if you're watching on YouTube and you'd like to join us as well, please do. And I'd like you all to know one more thing before I uh, get into uh, the poem. Lieutenant Onoda reached Japan. He was a hail to hear of there. He arrived back there, but life was different than when he left in 1944. And so he bought a ranch in Brazil and he moved there. But in 1984, the same year that I moved to Japan, he and his new wife moved back to Japan and they founded a nature camp for kids. On Thursday of 16 January of 2014, which was two months and one week ago today, this man died at the age of 91 years old. And I hope that he knew Jesus. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. And he has a good plan and a purpose for you. So call on him and let him do marvelous things for you and through you. Our poem today is called, He is Alive. Now the report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house saying, So Joseph's brothers have come. This is the word, something for which Joseph must have long been praying so it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well, as the record of the Bible does so surely tell. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, yes, he did impart, say to your brothers, do this, load your animals and depart, go to the land of Canaan, do not be remiss. Bring your father and your households and come return to me. 
I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you will eat of the fat of the land, you see. Now you are commanded, do this. Take hearts out of Egypt the land for your little ones and your wives. Them do not dismiss. Bring your father and come as I have planned. Also, do not be concerned about your stuff, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours, and it will be enough. Then the sons of Israel did so, as Joseph gave them carts as stated, according to the command of Pharaoh, and for the journey he gave provisions to keep them sated. He gave to all of them, to each man, changes of garments, things to wear, but he gave 300 pieces of silver to Benjamin, and five changes of garments to carry back there. And these things he sent to his father, ten donkeys loaded with the best, provisions of Egypt, for this was no bother, for he wanted the family abundantly blessed. And ten female donkeys loaded heavy with grain, bread, and food, for his father for the journey, and for a spirit to be renewed. So he sent his brothers away, and they departed, and he said to them, See that you do not become troubled along the way. Don't let your emotions flare or your tempers get hot. Then they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to Jacob their father with great news to proclaim. And they told him, speaking this word, Joseph is alive and he is governor over all of Egypt. Think it not absurd. And Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe them. This is how it was. But when they told him all the words which Joseph to them had said, and when he saw the carts which to carry him Joseph had sent ahead, the spirit of Jacob, their father, did revive. Then Israel said, It is enough for my eye. Joseph, my son, is alive. I will go to him and see him before I die. Man is born alive in his soul, but he has no, his spirit has no life at all. But for this, Jesus came and took control, so that on him we may call. And when we do, he revives us, granting us new life. And between God and us has ended all the strife. This is the message of hope that we find in God's word. It is a story of wonder, of glory, and of praise. We are restored to him through the precious blood of Jesus Christ our Lord to live in his presence for eternal days. And so, yes, to you, O God, we offer a joyful sound. May you be ever exalted as our praises to you abound. Hallelujah and amen. In the book of 1 Corinthians, we're given the instructions for the Lord's Supper. They come from the hand of Paul. And there it says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And he would have given thanks over it, and he would have said these words, Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu, melech haolam hamutzi lechem min haaretz. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe who brings forth bread from the earth. And he broke it, and he said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, after supper, he took the cup, and he would have blessed this as well. He would have said these words, Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu, Melech haolam, Borei peri hagafen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and of the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Let's all take a moment and just reflect on our past week and on how we can improve ourselves before the Lord in the week ahead and to confess those things that we have which have strayed from him.
Please come forward. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Elaine and Paul. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. <coughs> Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to meet here today. Thank you for the sure promise that not only are we redeemed by Jesus Christ, but you will always keep your promises to your people, Israel. Though they have strayed from you, we would pray that soon that day will come when they are reconciled to you and they call on their Lord Jesus. And our great hope is that we're at your side as that happens at the marriage supper of the Lamb, waiting to return and to be with you as you come back to this earth to uh, appear before your people Israel. I thank you for the people that have attended today, and I pray for them and for anybody that's watching on YouTube that you would be with them as well. And Lord, thank you. Thank you for how you've treated us in our lives. You're such a wonderful God. How beautiful is your word. How precious is your, your creation, which you've given to us. Help us to use it responsibly and to live honorably in your presence. Please bless each person as they go out and uh, head on their way back home and uh, be with us. Help us to make right decisions in the week ahead and then to gather again to see you again next week here in this little church that you've provided for us. We thank you for this and we praise you. We glorify you in the exalted name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.